tonight then we're going to look at how can we resist evil and looking at the whole aspects of good and evil in the world and in, in our lives. If you're following in the manual on page 43, and before we start, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that, uh, that you call us into relationship with you. And I pray that you teach us more about that relationship. And particularly tonight, how we can guard that and uh, how we can learn to grow close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've ever, ever really thought about it, but the word good and the word ev evil, but just how they link into to those two words there. Yeah, you take, add an o, take an O out of good and you've got the word God. And uh, you add a D to the word evil and you've got the word devil. Okay? Now, I don't know whether that's coincidence in the English language or what. According to the biblical worldview, okay, how we look at the world, behind good lies goodness himself, okay, which is God. Okay? He is goodness himself. The Bible also tells us that behind evil there lies a personified power of evil that the Bible calls the devil uh, of various other names. And I think a lot of people find it very hard to, to believe that there is a devil. Most of us think of it as kind of medieval superstition generally. Although to be honest in the Western world people probably find it easier to believe in God than they do the devil. Okay, folks can call the idea of God but the devil's really going a bit too far. And I think one reason is that we've got a very warped picture of the devil, just like we've got a, a pretty warped picture of what God is like. If you ask somebody to describe God to you, they generally kind of have some idea that he's got a big beard, he's an old chap that lives up in the clouds, and there's a few harps playing around. That, that's their picture of God. And similarly, you know, that's the sort of picture you draw as a child, that the devil, they kind of, this is what he looks like, you know, he's got a pitchfork, he wears red leotards with, um, he's got, you know, nasty horns. And that, that's what the devil looks like. And of course, that, that's not what we're talking about tonight. We're not talking about the red leotard chap. Okay, that's just a, a figment of people's imaginations, really. But nevertheless, a belief in an evil power is not actually illogical. In fact, some folks would say that it's, it's a logical conclusion if you believe that there's a God. Because if otherwise, you have to blame all the evil in the world on God. So somebody said this, Michael Green wrote it in fact, and he wrote, Belief in a transcendent power of evil adds nothing whatever to the difficulties imposed by belief in a transcendent power of good. Indeed, it eases them somewhat, for if there were no Satan or devil, it would be hard to resist the conclusion that God is the fiend, both because of what he does in nature and what he allows in human wickedness. And so it's not actually illogical to believe that there is a, a person or a power behind evil. And certainly the Bible and Jesus didn't teach us that there wasn't. Um, they, gave us, they gave us the view that there is somehow this, this sort of warfare going on between uh, God um, and a power of evil in the world and in the universe. And we call it spiritual warfare. And it's there whether we like it or not. It's not like, you know, you could do your two years conscription and then get out. But it's, uh, it's something that is happening in the spiritual realm that you may or may not be aware of. I want you to turn in your Bibles to page 1177. Page 1177. Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 10. Page 1177. And this is a letter written by Paul to the church in Ephesus, which is sort of modern-day Turkey. 
part of the world. And uh, Paul is basically saying here that spiritual warfare is a reality. It's headed the armour of God. Finally, he says, at the end of his letter, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then he goes on, and we'll look at that a bit later on. So here we have Paul saying that spiritual warfare is a reality. Um, the devil's not really talked about much in the Old Testament. There's a few mentions to him. Um, he's called Satan. Um, there's about four or five references, um, and they're listed in your manual. But there's not an awful lot. But as we move into the New Testament, the picture develops much more clearly. And we see that he's a spiritual being with personality, i.e. has a mind, will. But he's in active rebellion against God, but also has the leadership of many demons like himself. And we read here that he's not to be underestimated. It talks about the powers of this dark world, so there's power involved. It talks about spiritual forces of evil. Okay, so that's the reality about this. That's not something that's good. Now, it's not just something that's bad, but, it's, but evil is kind of a, a progression on from that. It's, uh, there's, a, there's a real nastiness to it, if you like. Um, and also, it talks about the devil's schemes. So he's, uh, he's somebody who has a degree of cunning. Okay? He doesn't show his true colours. Um, and very often... Um, he, he appears in a way that is very attractive to people. So it's not obvious that this is a path you're going down that is an evil, evil way. Um, because, I mean, he's described as an angel of light um, in the Bible. Something that can seem very attractive in the first instance. So he's not to be underestimated, according to Paul. But why should we believe in the devil? Well, there's, uh, there's three reasons primarily, um, and I'm going to do them in reverse order, so I'll finish with the, the most important. But I think if we use our common sense or reason, we can see that, that there is something at work in this world that is beyond what we can get to grips with. When you read the newspapers, when you look at the television, and you read about all the, the evil regimes that are in the world and through, through history, you look at institutional torture and violence, the mass murders, brutal rapes, large-scale drug trafficking terrorist atrocities, ethnic cleansing, sexual and physical abuse of children, commonplace in so many uh, realms of society. And the question has got to come to our minds of, of who is behind, ultimately, all of this evil? How can people be so deceived to believe that these things are right? How is it that this level of evil can exist in our world? It's a little ditty that says, some say the devil's been and some say the devil's gone. But simple folks like you and me ask, who carries the business on? So who is behind, ultimately, all of this, this stuff in the world? So common sense could argue that there's, there's a force of evil at work. Secondly, there's the experience of Christians right through history, particularly some of the, the early theologians. They all believed in the personal power of evil. Key church leaders right through history, I mean, even this century, have um, not only believed that there's, uh, there's forces of evil at work in the spiritual realm, but have also experienced it for themselves. And that's true today. You don't have to 
been a Christian for very long or got involved in Christian activity before you become aware of something that is beyond the physical um, at work um, in our lives. Um, it may be that that you something you've not experienced yet, so it may be something you have. It may be things, subtle things, you know, that everything conspires against you so that you can't come to something like the Alpha Course or you can't get along to church or you can't get to something that has um, some Christian involvement in it, situations conspiring against you. Or it may be that you have real doubts in your mind. That's one of the, the and we'll look at that a little bit later on, the thing of doubt. It's, it's more than just questioning because we've all been given a rational mind to question but it's um it's a it's a doubt that you're unable to to break free of and that they're continually coming at you people that make you feel abnormal for having any interest in christianity okay and it's like things come to pull us away from from looking at the things of god and looking at, at who jesus is and how it Im impacts our lives and um, somebody wrote this the devil only tempts those souls that wish to abandon sin. The others belong to him, so he has no need to tempt them. And very often when we look at the things in our lives that we need to be free of, that is the time when, when the devil begins to work in our lives and tempts us into those areas because he sees that he could be losing the control that he's had in different parts of our lives. So that's the second reason. And the third reason is the Bible says. It's biblical. Paul writes about it here in the book of Ephesians. Um, if you read P Peter's letter, he writes about the devil. He says that, the, he, that he's like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But most importantly, Jesus believed in the reality of the devil. Uh, many of you will know the Lord's Prayer. Um, and we'll look at that a little bit more next week. When one of the lines in the Lord's Prayer is, Deliver us from the evil one. That's the literal translation of it. Deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from Satan. Deliver us from the devil. And that isn't God. That's somebody else that he's talking about that we need to be delivered from. And Jesus taught his disciples to pray in that way. And he often had battles with the enemies. As you read the Gospels, you see how he, he set people free from, uh, from evil um, influences in their lives. Some people say, well, you know, that was 2,000 years ago, Andy. You know, people were superstitious in those days. That was, that was the kind of world that he lived in. But that isn't true. There was particularly a group of people called the Sadducees, and they didn't believe anything about the supernatural realm. They didn't believe in a real resurrection, and they were always questioning Jesus about that. But Jesus didn't say, no, you're right, but he, he said, you're wrong. In fact, this is the way it is, um, and he's taught us to do the same. But we've got to get a balance on this, because we don't want to get obsessed with things because the devil wants one of two things one is that we don't believe in him at all because he's quite happy with that the devil loves that because if you don't believe in him then he can he's free to do what he likes and he doesn't matter michael green again said this he said when we fall into that danger of not believing then it's like any general in a war that can persuade the opposition to underestimate him he's free to operate with a maximum of ease and efficiency, confident that nobody takes him seriously. So he's quite happy with that. On the other hand, is that we do believe in him, but we have an excessive or obsessive <coughs> interest in things to do um, with the supernatural, things to do um, with, uh, with the devil. And uh, that's a, that unhealthy interest is also a danger. 
And that's something that is very much rising in culture today. You look at the videos that are available, you look at the books that are available, um, things about astrology, things about seances, things about tarot cards, Ouija boards, palm reading, channeling, people trying to contact the dead. Um, these are all forms of occult activity. I, I was reading an article um, about teenagers, this was done about three or four years ago, where they interviewed secondary school pupils and basically came up with the, the statistic that something like one in three of all secondary school pupils were at some point involved in, in either Ouija boards or astrology or tarot cards. It's just, it's just a big thing, people looking for, for answers and getting involved in this sort of thing because it's attractive, it seems interesting and it offers you possibly some knowledge about the future, whatever, and so it, it, it's enticing to people. But the Bible says that this is dangerous. God says it's, it's a dangerous thing to get involved in. Uh, if you turn to page 197, just keep your finger where you were in Ephesians, and turn back to page 197 in the Bible. We'll just look at one, one verse. Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 10. And it says this, let, let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, as some of them are doing, or who practices divination, that is, attempting to obtain secret knowledge, especially of the future, or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium, or a spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord, etc. I mean, what he's saying is, these are... God, God warns against these things because he knows these, these are dangerous things. Because ultimately he has our care um, at his heart and he doesn't want us to get involved in these sorts of things. But if there are things that we've been involved in, then we can be forgiven of them. That is the great news, is that we can turn from them and we can receive forgiveness because Jesus died on the cross so we could be forgiven of everything. But uh, we should get rid of anything um, involved in those sorts of things, whether it be books or videos or charms or whatever it be to get rid of them. Okay, let's move on then. How, how, if there is a devil then, what, what are his tactics? What are, what's his aim? What, do, what's he, what does he do? So that we've got some understanding of his schemes and everything else. Well, first of all, his main aim is to destroy. If you turn in your Bibles back to page 1076, page 1076, John chapter 10 and verse 10. <coughs> And uh, Jesus says this, he says, The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So here's Kippur, why he has come, why Jesus has come, okay, and why the other one, the evil one, the thief, as he calls him in this case. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But God, Jesus, has come to give you life. And not only to give you life, but to have it to the full. Have it in abundance. So God's aim is to give you the best possible life. It says in Romans 12 that the will of God is good, is perfect, and is pleasing. That is what God wants for your life. You may not believe that, but that's what God says. That's why Jesus came, was to give you life, not to take life from you. The devil, his ultimate aim is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But he won't tell people that. He will never state that. Okay? It's not even in the small print. But Jesus warns us about it. Because it may be that, that he comes to steal our security, our confidence. 
in, a, in ourselves, or our significance as people, or it's our self-worth that gets stolen away from us. But ultimately, it's, a, it's our life that he comes to destroy, and it's our, our soul that he comes to destroy. So it's a path that he leads us down that ultimately leads to destruction. Okay, that is what Jesus is saying. So that's his main aim. Um, his tactics then come, and the first of those is to blind our eyes or blind our minds. You can look at this in your own time, but in the book of Corinthians, it says that the God of this age, that is the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Okay? He comes to blind our minds so that we can't see, we can't understand the things of, of the Bible, the things of Jesus. So when you may be somebody who's started to explain to people your interest in Christianity, and they just look blankly at you. Okay? You may be somebody who's become a Christian recently, and you try to explain what it means to be a Christian, and they're, they're clever people, okay? and you're a clever person, but they just can't see it. They, they just can't understand it, and they can't see it, because our, our minds have been blinded somehow, spiritually, by the work of the, of the enemy in each of us. And so it needs to come by revelation from God um, as we're involved. So that's the main tactic, and so many people don't understand why Christianity is even necessary and don't, just don't see it. He also comes to bring doubt. And this is probably the main way that the devil works. And so where there's doubt in your life, it's right to question, okay? It's right to question. But if there's doubt, we've got to be careful of where the source of that has come from. Um, if you turn right back to page 5, right at the beginning of the Bible, we find that this was the first way... The devil ever tried to um, deceive people. Genesis chapter 3, and this is probably the main way that the devil works, even today. Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. God is, commands the man that, he says, you're free to eat from any tree in this garden, but you mustn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So there's one tree I don't want you to eat from, okay? Because if you eat from it, you will die. That's what God says. Genesis chapter 3, Verse 1. Now the serpent, here representing the devil, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? So what he's doing is he's getting the woman in this case to doubt God's word. Did God really say? As he thinks, well, did he or didn't he? He brings doubt. When Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, and you can read it in Luke chapter 4. Jesus has just been baptized. The God, the Father, has just said to him, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Okay, Jesus has heard it in an audible voice from heaven. The first thing the devil says to Jesus is, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to turn to bread. Okay, he's getting him to doubt the word of God that he's just heard. So that is the way the devil works. Now, Adam and Eve failed because they disobeyed God. But Jesus, he succeeded because he stuck to what was written. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, okay? but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he, he passed the test, which meant um, um, well, he could go to the cross and die, etc. And the, the devil comes along and he says to you, particularly you're struggling to believe God's promises. Or maybe you're a Christian. Um, and he says, you wouldn't have said that if you were a Christian. Or you wouldn't have thought that. Call yourself a Christian. You wouldn't have thought that or said that. 
And so you think, oh, maybe I'm not a Christian. Um, and you think, oh, maybe I'll just pack it in. I'm no good at this. But that's not what it means to be a Christian. A Christian isn't someone who's perfect. A Christian is somebody who's forgiven. I remember somebody had that on a T-shirt. He just said, I'm not perfect, but I am forgiven. And uh, that's the heart of what it means to be a Christian. The other thing he says is, did God really say? And are those things really wrong for Christians to do? You know, and all your pals come along and say, that, that can't be wrong. That's not reasonable, is it? I mean, let's look at it. I mean, everybody in the world does this and this. So, you know, that can't be right. And so doubt comes again. It's the same tactic. Undermining our confidence in God's word, in what God has said. And so we need to take God's word for just that, his word, okay, that we trust and we believe, if we want to be free from his tactic of bringing doubt to us. The fourth thing, temptation. And we probably all have heard of, you know, we always accuse the devil of that one, temptation. And we've seen in verse 16 this incredible generosity of God. Okay, God has said to Adam and Eve, you can have any tree in this wonderful garden, any fruit, anything you want, incredible permission he's given them, and generosity, except one. Okay? So there's only one I don't want you to, to touch. Okay? So he's actually been incredibly generous. But what does the devil do? First thing he does is he ignores all the good things you're allowed, and he says, let's look at the one. Let's look at this one thing you're not allowed. Man, he's a miserable God that won't let you have that. This is the, the only thing worth having in this place is this one. God has given them a penalty. He says, you will surely die if you eat from that. So there's a penalty involved with that. But the devil says, you won't surely die. I mean, he's not going to kill you, is he? I mean, come on, he's, he's, not like, he's not like that. And of course, they don't die physically, but they die spiritually. That's what happens, and they put out the garden in Genesis 3. But it's the same thing today. The devil comes along, and what you hear about Christianity isn't, look at all the wonderful things you can have. Okay, look at the depth of relationship that you can have. Look at the incredible peace and joy that God wants to bring into people's lives. Look at the way God wants to guide you and provide for you in supernatural ways to take you through a life that will bring incredible satisfaction to your life. That is not what you hear from the media or from things like that. What you hear is, Christians can't do this. You can't sleep around, you can't drink, you can't laugh, you're not allowed to tell jokes, you're certainly not allowed to tell, take drugs. It's no fun being a Christian. Okay? Looking at the things you're not allowed to do, rather than looking at the incredible generosity of God. And he also denies the penalty. It comes to you. If you, if you do those things, yes, face it, it's not really that. It's not going to harm you. you know, you're actually going to enjoy life if you do this, this, and this. It's not harmful for you. He denies the consequences and the penalty that come with the thing that God actually wants to protect us from and actually has something even better than what we think. But there are consequences, real consequences. And the consequences come in this passage in Genesis 3, in verse 7. First of all, you get this embarrassment and the shame. Um, it says that the, the eyes of both of them, in verse 7, were opened. Chapter 3, verse 7. And they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They felt guilt. Now, it was Mark Twain that said that man is the only animal that blushes and the only animal that needs to. Because as human beings, we experience real guilt in our lives. We know, we looked at it a week before, uh, previous week about the things that are really, what we are really like inside and how 
we're actually ashamed of much that is inside us. Arthur Conan Doyle uh, wrote as a practical joke, he sent a telegram to 12 respectable men. These were, you know, pillars of society. <laughs> These are good people, supposedly. And he wrote this to them. He didn't know them anything about them, but he wrote a telegram and it said, flee at once, all has been discovered. And within 24 hours, all 12 of them had left the country. <laughs> because there was something somewhere in each of our lives that we were ashamed of um, when it comes to it. So they experienced embarrassment and shame. Their friendship with God was broken. Verse 8. Here they had they'd been walking with God. And suddenly then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God. Verse 10. He answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So their friendship with God is suddenly broken. Again, that's true today. People are afraid of getting close to God. People are afraid of letting God see them because of, because of who they are. And the reason is, I mean, Adam and Eve believe God. They believe in God. They have a problem believing there's a God. But they don't want the presence of God. They don't want to be in his presence. And then thirdly, they blame each other. Verse 12, the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the woman, Why have you done this? And the woman said, Well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So they, they blame each other. And that, that's, that's what we do, isn't it? That's how uh, we wreck relationships. That's how rows start. You know? We never take the blame. We always blame it on someone else. Um, that's true in society. It's true for us as individuals. It's true for us as nations. It's the problem of the world. Because the, when we break relationship with God, one of the consequences of that is that our relationships with one another then fall apart as well. And it all starts because the devil is a tempter and brings, brings doubts. And uh, lastly, he's also, the word Satan actually means accuser or slanderer. He says to, to us, you know, God is the cosmic killjoy. Just, it's not worth getting to know. Okay? He slanders God to us. But he also slanders us as well. And he says to you, you know, you're not, you're no good. You're not worth, you're not worth, God's not interested in you. And so we, we, sh we pull back and say, well, maybe we're not. We, so we don't come close to God. And he wrecks our relationship with God. But the truth is, James chapter 4 says, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. That's the truth. Okay, so here we are in this battle that's going on. What's our position? Well, if you turn in your Bibles to page 1182, Colossians chapter 1, page 1182, book of Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. And it says this, this is uh, Paul writing again to a group of Christians. And he says, verse 13, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So what he's saying is, it's like this, there's two kingdoms. There's a dominion of darkness, and there's a kingdom of light, the kingdom of his son. In the dominion of darkness, okay, Satan is the king. And over here we've got people caught up in sin, um, we've got darkness in people's lives, and there's all sorts of evil, are the fruits of living there. Um, people are enslaved, to sin and to addictions and to all sorts of things. Ultimately, there's death because that's what it's all about and destruction because that is his aim, is to destroy 
us. That is, that's the dominion of darkness. And then on the other side, there's the kingdom of light. And in this kingdom, Jesus is the king. Okay? And here, we have forgiveness of our sin. Instead of darkness, we have light. I am the light of the world, said Jesus. Instead of evil, the fruit of being in this kingdom is that goodness and righteousness comes out of your life. Instead of being enslaved to things, you're set free from things that had power over you. Um, instead of death, when you die, it's an entrance into life. Life forever, eternal life, a quality of life. And instead of destruction, there's the offer of salvation. Okay? To be made whole and to be, it's not destroyed and pulled apart, but actually be put together, restored and, and live forever, becoming more and more like what you were supposed to be and were originally designed for. So here's the two kingdoms. And what Jesus is, what um, Paul's saying here is, to the Christians, he's saying, you guys, you were over here. You were way over on the right-hand side. That is where you were before you knew Jesus, before you knew Christ. But now, Jesus has rescued you from the dominion of darkness. And he's brought you into the kingdom of the son he loves, the Jesus kingdom, where Jesus is king, because we're forgiven and we're brought into that kingdom. And uh, it's a bit like, uh, well, I used to work at the university, and I worked for, a, I had a supervisor in one particular laboratory where I worked. And if he said, you know, okay, Andy, I need a report of what you've been doing, I need your results, and I need a report of it by Monday, then I'd have to do that. I used to, he, he was my, my kind of guy I was responsible to, accountable to, so I had to produce that report for the Monday. Now, I finished that job, and I got another job in another lab, but in the same department. And I finished up with a different supervisor. And if once I'd started that job, if my old supervisor had phoned me up and said, oh, Andy, um, you know, I hear things going well, but I'd need a report in for Monday. I'd say, well, I'm sorry, you know, <laughs> I like you and all that, but I'm not accountable to you anymore. I don't have to do what you say. I, I'm, I've got a new boss. So, you know, <laughs> no. <laughs> and it's like that. <laughs> Is that I, I was, I, w I was enslaved in this side, and uh, all the things that the devil wanted me to do, and the way, way he wanted me to live, and just living for myself, and look out for number one, I don't have to live like that anymore. Okay, I've become a Christian, Jesus is my king, he's number one, he's my boss, he's my new supervisor, and I now do what he says, and I don't need to listen to all the other things that still harp on in my life, and that try and get me to live differently. I can live here. And so that is a position for somebody who's become a Christian. We're rescued, Paul says, from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. Right, now if these, it seems like there's two sides to this, you know, okay, what, who, who wins in the end type of thing? Who, who wins? Well, if you look over in Colossians chapter 2 and uh, verse 14, we'll just go back a bit. Okay, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins, okay, and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities of evil, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. So what he's saying is that Satan was defeated on the cross. It's like he's basically had the big blow. Now we live in a time where he's still somehow at work. There's still things of evil going on 
um, we still have a struggle in the world that we live in. But one day, the Bible says, when Jesus returns, that will be defeated and ended forever. Okay? And he'll be thrown into the lake of fire and, and all his angels. And that, that is what will happen, according to the Bible. But we live in a time where we're kind of in, in between the ages. And it's a little bit like the Gulf War. If you think of the Gulf War, um, retrospectively, you look at the Gulf War, and it was won on the, uh, on the bombing campaign. Yeah? And it was that that brought the savage blow to um, the, the enemy armies in that situation. Whether rightly or wrongly, I'm not going into that. But it was the, the bombing campaign that was the final blow. Now, the ground troops still had to work uh, doing the mopping up exercises and exercising the authority of the fact they had one on the ground and bringing that to bear in the different situations. And similarly, we live as Christians kind of still mopping up, mopping up exercises. The cross was a savage blow to Satan okay, that, has, that has destroyed him. But it's kind of, it's, there's still the mopping up exercises to be done. And so Christians and the church are primarily there to exercise the authority that, that Jesus has given them to deal with evil in the world as they face it, both in our own lives and also in the lives of others and situations as we encounter them. And uh, it's not because Christians are any good, but because they're now under the authority of a new supervisor, if you like, which was King Jesus. And he has the power because he's defeated the forces of evil. Now, we're going to look in a little bit in the groups um, at the rest of that Ephesians passage in chapter 6, um, where it's called the armour of God. And you've got all the different bits of the armour. That's just a, a little picture there. And the sword is called the, is the word of God. And you've got the shield of faith and all the rest of it. You can look at that in your groups, okay? Because th these are things that defend us spiritually um, as Christians that you need to put into operation um, to do that. But also, we need to be able to not only defend ourselves, but actually to attack, if you like. And the main way you do that, most of that is defense except for the sword. Okay, and it says the sword, of the, is the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And so the Word of God, the truth about God and about situations, is what defeats the enemy, the evil one. As doubts come, then we put our trust in this. And it's a spiritual um, weapon, if you like, um, for every situation. And it's what Jesus used when he encountered the devil in the, the wilderness. He said, it is written, it is written. And he applied it to every situation that he, he came to. And then there's also the, you know, the rescuing of people from the kingdom of darkness, dominion of darkness. When we come into the kingdom of light, we don't say, oh, that's great, and just leave it at that. But we want to rescue other people from that dominion as well. And that advances, the kingdom of God advances through prayer. There's a hymn line that says, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest Christian on his knees. And there's real power in prayer. Prayer is a spiritual weapon. It has divine power to demolish things when we pray for people and when we pray for situations in the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus is the authority and the power to break things and to change things and to set people free from situations that are not of God's design. And also by um, preaching the gospel preaching the good news about Jesus, that he, he wants to rescue us, what he's done of, on the cross, praying for people to be set free from evil, um, 
often praying for people to be healed from situations, sickness, different things like that. Setting people free from evil as well. But it's not just defending ourselves, it's also an attacking thing. And uh, a, a church, it should be a place where the, the people there are praying for good and light to shine into all the darkness that is around in society and getting involved in society in a way that will bring hope and light. But it's not in the blue corner is God and in the red corner is the devil and they're going to like sock it out and see who wins. Okay? It's completely different to that. that. Those two sides I showed you before are really like that. They're not really side by side. They're really top and bottom. Um, and uh, it's like the devil, Satan is king here. We're kind of in, under him, um, in bondage to him, slave to him, can't get out. But Jesus has rescued us because of the cross to set us free, take the keys off him, and to give us all those things. And uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the head of the body, that the church is the body of Christ. When you become a Christian, you become part of the body of Christ. And it tells us that that God has put everything under his feet. The devil, all authorities, all power are under his feet. So we're rescued from here. We come into the body of Christ and everything is under our feet because it's under Jesus' feet as we become part of Jesus, if you like, part of the body. As long as we stay there, and as long as we live in there, then he has no power over us. This is an, an authority level. He has no power over us. And we can defeat him every time, in every situation, once we know where we stand spiritually in Jesus, in Christ. And that's something that we're all learning how to exercise as Christians. Okay, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that, uh, that you are the supreme one, that you're the glorious one, that you are the great one, that you're the, the sovereign God who's above everything that Satan is, is just a defeated foe. He's right down there. And I pray that you would help us to get that in perspective, but also to see the, the serious issues involved as well. Help us to learn now in our groups, Lord, and to be able to work through some of these issues. In Jesus' name, amen.